You've got shit. I've got shit. We've all got shit. So let's therapize that shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. Please note, I am not a therapist. I cannot and do not diagnose anyone or prescribe anything. This is just me, someone who struggles with mental illness, emotions, and intrusive thoughts, sharing what skills I've used and how I've used them. Also, trigger warning, in this podcast, I talk about sensitive topics including mental illness, suicidal ideation, self-harm, rape, childhood sexual assault, trauma, and more. I also swear here and there, so listener discretion is advised. If you're new to the podcast, some context for you. I've gotten a ton of value out of doing group therapy and watching others process their shit. In group, I can see other people's patterns and behaviors much more clearly because they aren't my patterns and behaviors, but rather they're adjacent to mine. It's such a relief. I want to share this relief with you via this podcast, wherein I practice skills while actually in the thick of shit. Each episode, I typically do an introduction and provide some context. Then I play a recording of me actively dealing with shit. This isn't me talking about psychology or theories. I'm actually in distress, having strong emotions and strong urges. You're going to hear me crying, angry, numb. But my intention is always to move through an emotion, never to stay there. So stick with me, and we'll actually come out on the other side by the end of the episode. Alrighty, let's hop to it. Welcome, welcome. I'm glad you're here with me to therapize some shit. What's new with me? I don't know if you can tell, but I finally have kicked bronchitis to the curb. So my voice is as normal as it's going to get, I guess. I'm finally feeling better. I'm finally able to go back to the gym, which is my fortress of strength and one of my favorite places. So that's been awesome. And the weather has turned here in Seattle. So I don't have the urge to go sit outside at the beach for hours on end. Ergo, podcast editing. This week's recording that I'm about to play for you was made back in April, specifically April 7th, 2022. I'm recording this commentary on November 6th, so seven months later. I'm trying to catch up, I promise. I really am. I have like 20 episodes that I'm trying to get through and get myself so that I only have like a month lag instead of a seven-month lag. But what you're about to hear is me about four weeks into doing exposure therapy, and I'm feeling pretty shitty, though let me actually describe that more effectively. I was feeling really worn out in the recording. I was feeling really tired, really discouraged, frustrated, having a lot of feelings. And if you're new to the podcast, first off, welcome. Most of the skills I reference are from the DBT manual, which is written by Marshall Linehan. DBT stands for Dialectic Behavioral Therapy and is my favorite type of therapy, the one that I have found to be the most effective and helpful for me. The DBT manual is linked in the description, both in PDF form and where you can buy a hard copy. And whenever I'm quoting the DBT manual, or for that matter, really anyone else's work other than my own, I turn on a bit of reverb so that I sound like I'm in a planetarium, or more accurately, a planetarium bathroom. And since it's been a while since I've explained this, there are four sections to the DBT manual, mindfulness, interpersonal effectiveness, emotional regulation, and distress tolerance. So when I mention a handout that I'm reading from, I'll say something like, this is from Interpersonal Effectiveness Handout 5 or whatever, so that you can follow along if you're so inclined. Oh, and before I forget, a huge thank you to my Patreon supporters, Anne, Ruth, y'all are invaluable and basically 91.9% of the reason that this podcast exists for public consumption. So a gazillion thanks to you too. And if you, dear listener, would like to support this podcast, you can do so at the link to my Patreon in the description. All right, that covers pretty much all of our bases. So past joy, take it away. All right, so I really don't want to do this episode. I really don't want to use this skill. I'm annoyed. I'm avoiding. Uh, Anyhow, all right, so... In my last therapy session, nope, we're going to start at the beginning, Joy, because it's a very good place to start. 
I'm doing exposure to CPTSD right now from traumatic invalidation. In preparation for starting exposure, I had to do, I had to come up with two lists. One is my list of greatest hits of like the most painful memories for me of invalidation. And during therapy sessions, like we, we start with one, one memory, and I tell the story in as much detail as I can, where it happened, who I was talking to, what they said, what I said, what I felt, what I thought, what my urges were, all of it. And then I tell it again. And then I tell it again. The first, the first week, I managed to tell the story eight times. And then I have to listen to that recording every day between my therapy sessions. So I listened to that recording of me telling the story eight times, seven times, so 56 times. The more detail I get into it, the longer it takes to tell the story. So by and large, this particular story, the one I'm starting with, um, I end up telling three or four times in session and then listening to that recording during the week until my next session. On top of that, telling the stories of my greatest hits, I also have things that I'm actively avoiding because they remind me of invalidation or because I expect them to be invalidating or what have you. And then I have a scale on a scale of zero to a hundred, how much distress does thinking about doing that thing cause me? And the lowest ones I have, I think I start at 30. The greatest distress that I have on this list is, ooh, a hundred. Oh no. Yeah, that's not going to be a fun one. Okay. Right now, the thing I'm doing is listening to an interview with Donna Rotano, who is the defense lawyer for Harvey Weinstein. And she gives... It's like a half an hour podcast episode interview that she gives where she talks about how she's never been sexually assaulted because she would never put herself in that position. There's a lot of other things too. At any rate, I just started week four and I feel like shit. It usually takes about an hour for me to do the exposure every day. Ebbs and flows lately because I'm listening to my recording and then a half an hour podcast. It's actually taking me like, I don't know, an hour and a half every day. And I am not supposed to do any emotion regulation or distress tolerance during those exposure tasks because the whole point of exposure is for me to feel my feelings and to build up a tolerance for those feelings. And that's why we're starting small. I have to do baby steps. So we're getting in at the absolute lowest, least amount of distress and then building up a tolerance so that each week it's just a little bit harder. But I have spent the previous week preparing for it. I'm anticipating at least six months to a year of doing this. I compare it to setting myself on fire on purpose. I don't know whether I'm like dissociated or numb or whatever, because you're not going to hear the dread, the worry that I have in my voice. I sound currently totally calm and chilled and whatever. And it really, really, really fucking sucks. So I've been feeling like shit for the last three weeks. And during my last therapy session, I was telling my therapist that I feel like shit. (laughs) And they said, of course you do, Joy. This is really painful work. (laughs) And it was then that it occurred to me that one of the things that I should be doing, should is a judgment. Something that I think would be effective for me to do would be to practice validating myself around my experience of exposure, which I don't want to do. One of the things we put in place, my therapist and I put in place in advance of doing exposure is to stop talking to people who have invalidated me in the past about the things that they've invalidated me for. (laughs) By and large, that means the people who've invalidated me, I'm not going to talk to them about how I feel. And I've ended up with actually quite a bit more free time because historically, when I experience invalidation, I respond by getting defensive and wanting to convince and putting together a bunch of arguments and trying to find exactly the right words to explain how I feel so that they will get it, they will understand it, they will hear me, they will go, oh my God, I totally get it. And that has been a fool's errand for the majority of my life with those individuals. So I'm stopping doing that. One of the reasons for that is in seeking my validation outside of myself, I think of those as like training wheels. And training wheels are great and all, 
And at some point, they actually start to hinder one's ability to learn how to balance on a bike without them, i.e. seeking validation from other people is getting in the way of me ever having to practice being able to validate myself. (sighs) I fucking hate this. So I was having a conversation with my sister, Ruth. Hi, Ruth about this very thing, or rather I was having a conversation where I was trying to figure out how to convince my parents about a thing, about an experience that I was having. And I kept trying to like form just the perfect argument and was bouncing things off of my sister. And at some point she said, hey, aren't you not supposed to be doing this? Like, aren't you not supposed to be talking to mom and dad about your feelings? So why are you spending all of this time This happened just like a couple weeks ago. Why are you spending all of this time trying to formulate the perfect argument to have them understand your feelings? And I was like, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. I don't think she's actually currently or ever maybe ridden a horse, but that's neither here nor there. I was very annoyed by this. And she's actually been very um, consistent in pointing that out when we talk which I appreciate and I'm still fucking annoyed by. Now I'm aware of it, actually. The sheer tonnage of mental energy that I expend trying to come up with the perfect argument, the perfect set of data, the perfect examples, the perfect words to have specifically my dad understand me and understand how I feel. And when I don't do that anymore... It's this awkward in between, right? It's the first bike ride after taking off the training wheels, which means I no longer have the training wheels. I don't have that support, which again, in this case is external validation. And I haven't yet developed the skill of balance, which in this case is self-validation. So I'm just super wobbly, which is how I've been for the last few weeks. Like I'm not seeking validation from other people. And I don't have the skill of self-validation yet. And it fucking sucks. The other analogy that I like to use is like Tarzan swinging from rope to rope. And he's let go of one rope, but hasn't yet grabbed a hold of the next one. So it's like the vertex of a parabola, the top of his flight path. He's just suspended in midair for a bit before he has another thing to hold on to. And that is where I am currently in between two solutions. So I thought I would practice now self-validation. And I really don't want to. I really don't want to. Because to me, self-validation kind of feels like the off-brand, the generic brand. It's so much better when it comes from an external source, right? I mean, like Coke tastes so much better than Safeway Select, right? I don't know. I don't drink either one of them. But I'm guessing, in theory, the name brand is so much better. And I have had the belief, and I've lived my life in accordance with that belief that other people's validation of me is better than my own, that other people's validation of me is unimpeachable, rock solid, you can't poke holes in it. Whereas my own, like validating myself, there's all these arguments that can be made, all these holes that can be poked in it. And of course, this largely comes down to a lack of practice. I'm not all that great at self-validating. So... I guess I have to fucking practice. So strangely enough, validation in the DBT manual is included in the interpersonal effectiveness section. I mean, I guess the assumption is that the majority of our validation is towards other people. I don't think that's accurate. I mean, I think it is accurate for how I've lived my life up until now that I spend way more time validating other people than I do validating myself. The idea of validation is broached for the first time in Interpersonal Effectiveness Handout 6, which is titled Guidelines for Relationship Effectiveness, Keeping the Relationship. And the acronym is GIVE, G-I-V-E. And the V, as you might have guessed, is validate. Again, the context of this is in interacting with somebody else, one of the things one might do is validate. And it says here, with words and actions, show that you understand the other person's feelings and thoughts about the situation. See the world from the other person's point of view, and then say or act on what you see. Quote, I realize this is hard for you, and dot, 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 end quote. 
or quote, I see that you're busy and dot, 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 end quote. So again, that's validating somebody else. That doesn't give a lot of information. So it's lucky for us that there is interpersonal effectiveness handout 6A, expanding the V and give levels of validation. Very useful. Before I get into that, I have written my notes on this, uh, how to tell if I'm invalidating myself. This is very useful. I wrote these notes five years ago and haven't looked at them since. So this should have been some sort of sign or marker to let me know, hey, Joy, you might want to work on this. So how to tell if I'm invalidating myself. I feel like shit. I'm shooting myself, like using, I should have done this, I should have done that. I'm judging I am apologizing when I don't need to. I am trying to problem solve a feeling or talk myself out of a feeling. I am hiding and feeling shame. I'm saying things like, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm making jokes to avoid. My feelings persist. That's another way I can tell if I'm invalidating myself when my feelings just stick around. I'm stubbornly holding on to my feelings or I have the desire to make it worse. And of course that would be the case. Because if an emotion whispers and says, hey, I have this need, and I ignore it, or tell it to shut up, then it's going to speak up and say, hey, I have this need, and I ignore it, or tell it to shut up, then it might go, hey, it'll, it'll snap. Hey, I have this need. And if I continue to ignore it, or tell it to shut up, it's going to start screaming, hey, I have this need, really, really loudly which is where my desire to make things worse comes from. It's like, hey, if you didn't listen to this emotion when it was small, how about listening to it when it's big? Mom is watching Chariots of Fire again. I feel so fucking scattered right now. I feel like my computer does when it's running out of memory. It just slows down or if I have too many internet tabs open or whatever. I have worked for people who have called me a robot or a machine where I have gotten things done three times faster than the next best person. And right now, my brain feels like fucking mush. I'm not thinking clearly. I feel scattered. My thoughts aren't linear, which I fucking hate. <sighs> okay, anyway. Expanding the V in give. Levels of validation. Interpersonal effectiveness handout 6A. So... Again, this is all written with the expectation that I will be validating somebody else. So I'm going to go through each one and then rephrase it for myself. So step one, pay attention. Look interested in the other person instead of bored. So no multitasking. For myself, act interested in myself. Actually set time aside for myself to ask myself, how are you feeling? What's going on with you? What emotions are coming up? What thoughts are you having? Instead of like half-assing it and playing a game on my phone while just kind of like, I'll think about that later. Step two, reflect back. Say back what you heard the other person say or do to be sure you understood exactly what the other person is saying. No judgmental language or tone of voice. Oftentimes that means I'm actually repeating stuff back to myself um, and then finding a way to say it in a non-judgmental way. Like, there's actually some great examples of this in episode four on anger, where I'm talking about how angry I am at my parents' lack of skill around validation. Except I don't say it that way. I say, I'm fucking pissed that they suck so bad at validation. And I rephrase it and <laughs> repeat it back to myself of, okay, great, Joy. You're feeling really, really angry, fucking pissed, in fact, that your parents do not have the level of skill that you wish they had a validation because suck is a judgment. What is suck? How do you define when someone sucks at a thing compared to what? Who decides what the what is? So yeah, they do not have the level of skill that I wish they had. And so I am feeling angry. Okay, step three, read minds. And that's in quotes because I think we're gonna get into so much danger if, if we try to read the minds of other people. Be sensitive to what is not being said by the other person. Pay attention to facial expressions, body language, what is happening, and what you know about the other person already. Show you understand in words or by your actions. Check it out and make sure you're right. Let go if you're not. 
So checking it out to make sure you're right sounds like, hey, it sounds like what you're saying is this. Do I have that right? Or let me make sure I understand you. This is what I'm hearing. Do I have that right? And so with myself, I want to be sensitive to what I'm not saying, to what I'm not aware of. So check in with what my body is feeling. Check in on my posture. Check in on the thoughts I'm having. Check in on my emotions. Throw out suggestions. Like the last episode I did on shame, I actually didn't know what emotion I was feeling. And so I went to the Emotion Regulation Handout 6, where there's a page for each of the big 10 emotions. And I went through each one. I'm like, is it anger? No, I don't think it's anger. Is it fear? I mean, it kind of sort of feels like fear, but not quite. And eventually I got to shame. I'm like, aha, that's what it is. So I like tried on things. Do I feel afraid? No, not really. And then kept going until I found the emotion that I was like, yeah, that's what that is. Step four, understand. Look for how what the other person is feeling, thinking, or doing makes sense based on the person's past experiences, present situation, and or current state of mind or physical condition, i.e. the causes. Context matters, as it turns out. History matters. If I see somebody stub their toe and they fall to the ground crying and screaming in pain, it is likely that I will invalidate them and be like, hey, it's a stub toe, it's not that big a deal. But if I know that that person had just broken their toe like three days prior and then they stubbed it again, like, oh, I see the amount of pain you're experiencing totally makes sense. And again, why am I even judging other people's expression of pain? That's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, context matters. Even if I don't know what the context is, all behavior is caused. We've been over this one before. All behavior is caused. All emotions are caused. Everything comes from something. Which means that if somebody is reacting in a way that I don't understand, the context is likely hidden from me. I am not aware of the full context of things. And that is fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. God, I hate this. This really annoys me. It's also true for myself. I was having a conversation with my mom earlier today over lunch where I was bemoaning the fact that I, you know, I hang out with this toddler that I adore, who's great, is like coming up on two and a half. And like, if he has a meltdown, his parents and I were like, okay, when was the last time he slept? When was the last time he ate? Has he been getting enough affection or attention? Like checking the, the basic needs. <laughs> Does he have a dirty diaper? We check those things to see if there's something that we can address. Why is it, and this is what I was bemoaning with my mom, why is it that at some point we stop taking those things into consideration for ourselves? I mean, the number of times that I've told somebody I'm having a really shitty time of it right now. They're like, oh, well, did you get enough sleep last night? No, but that's not important. I'm just like super, super stressed. Oh, well, have you eaten yet today? No, but that's also not important. I mean, like, yes, I started my period today, but that doesn't matter either. Like, I will reject the impact of like just my basic physiology and having my basic like biological needs met. I'll reject that when I am considering what might be the context for how I'm feeling in any given moment. So context matters. All of the context, even the stuff that is invisible to me that I am not aware of. Step five, acknowledge the valid. Look for how the person's feelings thinking, or actions are valid responses because they fit current facts or are understandable because they are a logical response to current facts. So there's the difference between valid and justified. Justified means that it fits the facts. I'm trying to come up with a good example to compare that. So we've talked about the emotion wheel before. That's emotion regulation handout five. I hate the one that's in the DBT manual, so I have a link in the description to the, the version of it that I prefer. And the emotion wheel is comprised of three spokes. My experience, so what it feels like in my body, my thoughts, my body sensations, my urges. My expression, so what it looks like to somebody outside of my body, what facial expressions I have, my body posture, my behavior. And then the echoes, which are how that emotion influences how the rest of my day goes. And one of two things will start the e-wheel spinning, either an event or an interpretation of an event. 
So an example of the event itself starting this wheel spinning would be like if I'm walking down the hall and somebody jumps out and scares me, I do not have to have an interpretation of like, oh my God, I'm objectively unsafe in this moment right now in order for my body to go like, ah, you know? So that is a reaction to the event. Me jumping and gasping and clutching my chest or my pearls or whatever is a justified response to someone jumping out at me. And if you want to see what events trigger different emotions, Emotion Regulation Handout 6, which has a page for each of the big 10 emotions, has a section. Each emotion gets its own section of here are events that the event, without any interpretation, will trigger that emotion. And then we have the interpretations. I can be sitting here on my bed right now and have the thought, the world is not safe for me. I don't know how to prevent additional sexual assaults. That's really fucking scary. I'm really worried about that. Now, none of that has happened to me right now as I'm sitting in my bedroom. I'm sitting in my bedroom. Nothing is happening. I'm having a thought. The thought is what is triggering the emotion. Now, that's not to say me having the thought that the world is not safe for me means that my fear, if I I start feeling afraid because of that, that's a valid response to that thought. It makes sense that having that thought would trigger that emotion. And in this moment right now, that is not what's happening. So the, the emotion is valid. It is caused by something. And it is not justified meaning it doesn't fit the facts of my current situation right now. My current situation right now is that I'm sitting on my bed perfectly safe. So that's kind of the distinction between justified and valid. All behavior is caused, so it's valid. It comes from somewhere. All emotions are caused, which means all emotions are valid. They also come from somewhere. It does not mean that they fit the facts of the situation. So getting back to step five here on interpersonal effectiveness, handout 6A, acknowledge the valid. Look for how the person's feelings, thinking, or actions are valid responses because they fit the current facts or are understandable because they are a logical response to the current facts. So again, they fit the facts, so they're justified and valid. Or they don't fit the facts, but they still make sense because of the thoughts that that person's having that will trigger that emotion. So in that case, they don't fit the facts and they're valid, as opposed to they do fit the facts and they're valid. Step six, show equality. Be yourself. Don't one-up or one-down the other person. Treat the other person as an equal, not as fragile or incompetent. So how that looks in relationships is if somebody says to me, hey, I, uh, I just got over like a a head cold for the last few days. It kind of sucks. And if I say, yeah, well, I once had pneumonia for two months, that's not validating. (laughs) Like it does, it sucks to have a head cold for a few days. That's a valid thing. I don't have to compare it to my experience and find the other person's experience lacking. And I do this to myself all the fucking time. I am constantly being like, suck it up, Joy. You've, You've been through worse. I didn't have pneumonia for two months, but I did have, well, no, I did. I had the flu, which then turned into a m- pneumonia, which then became pleurisy, and I cracked a couple ribs, and it, the whole thing took like a month and a half, but I noticed myself doing this. With this round of exposure, I noticed myself invalidating it and be like, Joy, you've done this before. Get yourself together. Get a grip. As though having done it before it makes this time any easier. It's a completely different situation. I don't know that it's going to be easier, and I fucking wish it were. Anyway, so these are our levels of validation. So this kind of brings us back to why. What's the whole point of this? And now I'm going to be talking from Interpersonal Effectiveness Handout 17. Entitled, you guessed it, Validation. Validation means finding the kernel of truth in another person's perspective or situation. Verifying the facts of a situation. Acknowledging that a person's emotions, thoughts, and behaviors have causes and are therefore understandable. Not necessarily agreeing with the other person. So validation does not necessarily mean agreeing with the other person. And not validating what is actually invalid. The example that I use over and over again is I wake up on my wedding day. I was going to have a wedding outside and it's raining. And I have the thought, fuck, my wedding is ruined. So... If somebody came in and said, yep, 
you're totally right. Your wedding is ruined. I mean, it's raining and you wanted it to be outdoors and not raining, then yeah, it's ruined. That would be validating the invalid. What happened is it rained and I didn't want it to rain. My wedding is ruined is not what happened. It's the thought I had. So we can validate that thought and be like, of course you would have that thought. You really wanted your wedding to be outside. And given that you don't want your guests to get soaking wet, it's not going to be outside. And that's disappointing. You're disappointed. Of course you are. And what that was is validating the thought. Like, of course you'd have that thought. And of course that thought would trigger sadness and frustration and anger, possibly. But we're not going to validate what's invalid. So why validate? It improves our relationships by showing we are listening and understand. It improves interpersonal effectiveness by reducing One, the pressure to prove who's right. Two, negative reactivity. Three, anger. It makes problem-solving closeness and support possible. And finally, invalidation hurts. Important things to validate include the valid and only the valid, the facts of a situation, a person's experiences, feelings, emotions, beliefs, opinions, or thoughts about something, and suffering and difficulties. Remember, every invalid response makes sense in some way. Like that wedding example again. The reason it makes sense to be super angry and discouraged and disappointed is because there was an intermediate step between all of those emotions and the fact that it's raining. The intermediate step was I had the thought, my wedding is ruined. And there's also context. I didn't want it to rain. I had other plans, like all of that. Knowing all of that is there is how we're able to validate and understand somebody else's experiences and our own as well. Validation is not necessarily agreeing. Validation doesn't mean you like it. Only validate the valid. So let's practice validating my shit. I'm reading now from Interpersonal Effectiveness Handout 18, which is basically a more detailed version of Interpersonal Effectiveness Handout 6A, expanding the V and give levels of validation. Step one, pay attention. Look interested, listen, and observe. Okay, so since I'm validating my experience of exposure therapy, I'm going to start with paying attention to the fact that I feel exhausted. Like getting up every day feels impossible. I drive to the gym and I sit in my car and I want to just turn around and go home. My brain feels fuzzy. I don't want to talk to my friends. I don't want to do anything. I want to avoid my parents. I get angry and frustrated at other people who validate me. (laughs) I'm having a hard time feeling productive. Like I finished an embroidery project. I'll, I'll put a picture of it on the Instagram. It's the world's largest embroidery hoop. At least the largest one that is available for order online. It's over two feet wide. And I've been working on this embroidery project for probably nine months now, actually. And I finished it today, and I don't care. (laughs) Like, things that normally I feel a sense of accomplishment about. I'm just like, who the fuck cares? What is the point? What am I doing this for? So this is me paying attention to how I'm feeling. Observing how I'm feeling, and, well, also describing it to you. Because me just observing it would make for... Very boring podcasting, for sure. Step two, reflect back. Say back what you heard or observed to be sure you actually understood what the person is saying. No judgmental language or voice tone. Try to really get what the person feels or thinks. Have an open mind. No disagreeing, criticizing, or trying to change the person's mind or goals. Use a voice tone that allows the other person to correct you and check the facts. So what did I just hear myself say? I heard that I'm tired, that my brain feels really sluggish. My brain is not feeling the way it normally does. I heard that I'm not performing the way I would like to. I'm not performing the way I'm used to. I'm not feeling the way I normally feel about accomplishments or productivity, finishing things. I mean, fuck, normally finishing something is like my heroine. If you want to see me have like a legit (laughs) mental breakdown, interrupt me on a project when I'm 95% of the way there. 
and just keep interrupting. I've been practicing a lot more emotion regulation, certainly communication around my boundaries to address when that sort of thing happens. But typically, if I just am left to my own devices, I will lose it. I need to finish. I have to finish. And lately, I don't really care about finishing. So I heard that I am not as motivated as I would like to be, that I'm not as interested in activities that I am normally interested in, that I'm feeling apathetic and really fucking tired. I don't have a lot of energy, a lot of drive, a lot of motivation, a lot of desire. Yeah. Step three, read minds. Be sensitive to what is not being said by the other person. Pay attention to facial expressions and body language, what is happening and what you know about the person already. Show that you understand in words or by your actions. Be open to correction. So I didn't say this, but the undercurrent of what I'm picking up from myself, uh, discouragement, like I can hear that I'm discouraged. And I said, you know, what's the point? Why am I doing any of this? I think there's a, a lack of hope that it's going to get better, a lack of belief that all of this pain has a purpose and is serving me in some way. I liken um, exposure therapy to digging out a splinter. Having the splinter by itself is, let's say, 70 out of 100 pain-wise. Digging it out is going to increase the pain temporarily in the short term. So somebody comes along and is like, wow, you're in a lot of pain while you're digging that splinter out. Why are you even bothering? Just leave it. But in the long term, once the splinter's out, my pain goes down to zero. So I'm hoping that this act of digging all this stuff up and processing it and moving it through me will result in a much better long-term mental health situation for me. And right now, I cannot conjure up the energy to care. <laughs> and I just started week four. And we've got six more months of this, possibly a year, depending on how things go. Step four, understand. Look for how the other person, i.e. me, feels, is thinking, or if he or she is making sense, given the person's history, state of mind or body, or current events, i.e. the causes. Even if you don't approve of the person's behavior, or if his or her belief is incorrect, Say it makes sense that you feel this way because dot, dot, dot. I resist acknowledging the amount of work that exposure therapy takes, which makes it fairly difficult for me to say, well, of course you're exhausted, Joy. Which is why when my therapist said that, when they were like, of course you're tired, Joy. Of course you feel like shit. This is really hard work. It's really painful work. And part of me was like, no, it's not. What are you talking about? You're like blowing it out of proportion. It's fine. I think I downplay the amount of work that it is. I'm not allowing myself to fully acknowledge it because if I did, it would feel insurmountable. It's much easier for me to convince myself that like, I'm only going to walk like, I don't know, 12 or 15 miles today. I'm not going to walk the entire Appalachian Trail. Like that's, that's ludicrous. I'm just focusing on today. The problem with that is rejecting the context doesn't stop the context from impacting me. My refusal to acknowledge how hard it is and how much mental and emotional energy it takes doesn't mean that it stops being hard or that it stops taking up emotional and mental energy. Oh, how I wish it were so. It's funny, in the weeks leading up to actually starting exposure, I was pretty nervous, uncomfortable. I was much more aware of what I was about to undertake, and I was like actually feeling those feelings. And then as soon as it started, as soon as I actually started doing imaginal exposure to memories in sessions and then listening to those recordings all week, and then also practicing exposure to things I was avoiding, I stopped talking about what it feels like. It's like, I just don't want to, I don't want to think about it. I want to just put my head down and get through it. But the problem is... I can't have my cake and eat it too. I can't be impacted by it and then judge myself for being impacted by it. I mean, I can. <laughs> it's just a recipe for shame though. So it makes sense that I'm exhausted. I'm literally choosing to listen to extremely painful stories. Me telling these extremely painful stories of memories 
me describing in tremendous detail how I felt, what I thought, how much pain I was in. I'm listening to this over and over and over again, at minimum 21 times each week, at maximum so far 56 times in a week. I am also choosing to take in things that I normally avoid, like this interview with Harvey Weinstein's lawyer, and I'm not doing emotion regulation. I'm not doing distress tolerance. I'm sitting there and feeling all of it. And clearly there's a reason I have avoided it for this long because feeling all of it is fucking exhausting. So there's a reason I'm tired. There's a reason I don't have the energy to conjure up a possible optimistic outcome. I don't really have much much in the way of an imagination. I have a really hard time envisioning something unless I've already seen it. And I cannot fathom a world where I am not sidelined by invalidation. So right now I'm actually, my therapist is the one holding that for me. I told them that like, I don't have any hope that this is going to work. I don't have any hope that I will feel better at the end of this. And they were like, great, I'll hold your hope for you. You don't have to hold it. I won't say I have no hope. On a scale of zero to 100, I would say I have a two. Like having done it before, knowing that it worked in my previous case, that actually does do something for me. But the challenge here is that in the previous time that I did exposure, I was doing exposure to trauma as a result of rape. And I can actually remember, I could remember what my life was like before that happened, before I developed PTSD. So I kind of had a thing to aim for. I'm like, oh, I could go back to, you know, not having freakouts at the gym or panic attacks every other day or almost losing my job routinely. That would be nice. But with this, I actually don't have a before. I don't remember anything about myself before invalidation started happening. And I mean, it's been happening since I was a toddler. So there really isn't much in the way of a before. So I don't know what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, how it will impact my life. I have no concept of what the after of this is going to look like. (sighs) That little 2% hope that I have is hinging on that it, that it will just be better than it has been. That is, that's all I've got. So given that, it also makes sense that I would feel pretty discouraged about this, that I wouldn't be like jazzed about it or excited to do it because I don't have that hope. I don't have that like shining beacon that's kind of like my North Star or whatever. Step five, acknowledge the valid. Show that you see that the person's thoughts, feelings, or actions are valid given current reality and facts. Act as if the person's behavior is valid. I push back against the idea that this is hard. So if I acted as though it were hard and that my exhaustion makes sense, what would I do? Fuck, I hate this. God, this annoys me. Sometimes it's easier for me to actually ask that question. If If a friend of mine were going through this exact same thing, what would I do? Just have like boatloads of compassion and no expectation for their ability to actually like behave as they would normally were they not going through this. So any expectation that I have that I would continue to to function at the level of productivity I normally would should go out the window, needs to go out the window. It does not serve me to continue comparing how I'm functioning now to how I functioned before I was doing exposure. I would be super compassionate with myself. And now we're going to start crying. I have been uh, really almost flippant in talking about it because I've talked about it a little bit. Like I have my my close little group of friends that are all separate from each other and I'll check in and be like, hey, you'll never guess what this week's torture is. And I joke about it and I'm, you know, kind of in that dramatic way of like, oh, it's awful without actually talking about how how much it hurts, um, how much it, uh, it hurts to be digging the splinter out. It feels a lot like, um, a really still lake that has had a bunch of 
trash poured into it and the trash all sinks. So the lake is super still and there's all this trash at the bottom of it. And doing exposure feels like dropping a big old rock and it stirs all the trash up. And now the trash is in the water column, making it all cloudy and gross looking and everything. And it's good because that's how you can get it out of the lake. Like you can put a net in and start fishing it out. And before the lake looked pretty, even though the bottom of the lake was covered in garbage. I could ignore the garbage. I could swim happily at the surface and be blissfully unaware. And now I am swimming in garbage and I can, you know, grab a water bottle and pluck it out and throw it in a trash bag. And I can grab some cigarette butts and pluck it out and throw it in the trash can. But it means that I'm no longer just happily swimming along. Everything takes effort now. I'm constantly being interrupted. My normal thought patterns, my normal way of handling the stuff is being disrupted on purpose. And I'm realizing I don't really like allow myself to feel pain about it, like to be aware of my pain because I'm like, Joy, you're choosing this. Suck it up. Stop complaining. That's one of my dad's things. He hates complaining. He hates it when he does it. He hates it when other people do it. And I've been thinking about that lately. Like, what is complaining? If I catch fire and go tell somebody, hey, my hair is burning. It's really painful. Is that complaining? I think the difference is me telling somebody my hair is on fire and it's really painful is like a, I would like this situation to change and this situation can change. The fire could be put out. Complaining seems like the focus on an unpleasant experience when that experience cannot be changed. Like being stuck on the tarmac because there's a mechanical difficulty on an airplane. Um, like being stuck in a really long ticket line, which doesn't really happen all that much because we have Fandango and we can order things in advance. But I remember being in eighth grade when the original Star Wars trilogy was re-released and waiting in line to get in because you couldn't save seats. So we showed up early so that we could be towards the front of the line and ensured that we got good seats and waited for hours. So complaining in that situation, like this situation cannot be changed. It is what it is. And I just realized I have the belief that like, I'm not allowed to tell somebody when I'm in pain in a situation that can't be changed. Like I should not be talking about what it's like to do exposure because like, I chose this, we're doing this, this is on purpose, I'm not going to quit. So does talking about how painful it is, does that mean I'm complaining? But like the messaging I got or how I internalized it was that like, I'm not allowed to talk about being in pain. I'm not allowed to talk about being uncomfortable, that voicing displeasure, voicing pain, voicing anger was complaining and I needed to not do that. Just, just suck it up. Do it anyway. Stay quiet. Don't ask for what you want. Don't ask for it to be a different way. Don't articulate that it doesn't work for you, that it's this way. Just suck it up. So clearly there's a lot of things coming up. <laughs> there's a lot of garbage that is floating to the surface or splinters that are being unearthed. <sighs> all my mixed metaphors here. Beginning back to the question at hand, step five, acknowledging the valid, act as if the person's behavior is valid. Act as if my behavior is valid. Act as if my exhaustion, my brain fog, my decreased productivity is valid. Uh, if it were valid, I would take it fucking easy. I would do what I can and allow myself to be less productive than I would like, less productive than I normally am. I would watch a lot of Netflix, read a lot of cheesy romance novels that have no bearing on anything, do a lot of comfort stuff, things that are comforting, that have nothing to do with productivity, have much stronger boundaries to make sure that I can get extra rest, not take on more than I can handle, and communicate my needs to other people who are impacted by them. 
Six, show equality. Be yourself. Don't one up or one down the other person. Treat the other person as an equal, not as fragile or incompetent. So I realize what I've been doing is diminishing the difficulty of this by being like, Joy, you've done this before. It's fine. I have not been acknowledging the ways in which this is different. The context of this, I mean, doing exposure right now comes on the heels of, and we're not really done with the pandemic, but it comes on the heels of two years of basically forced seclusion and a world that went crazy as a result of the pandemic. It comes on the heels of a breakup, being ghosted by two therapists in a row, two psych hospitalizations, <laughs> one of my roommates from a psych hospital dying. We clicked instantaneously. I was like, oh my God, this has hardly ever happened in my life. We just got along so famously, so well. They invited me to their wedding, which I couldn't go to because I was in a psych ward again. And then they died during a medical procedure. And I had no way of finding out. I messaged them. They never responded. I tried different social media channels. And finally, I googled their name and found a GoFundMe for their widow like a month and a half after they died, which was also right around the same time that I moved back in with my parents after the breakup. Anyway, there's a reason this one might be harder this time around. There's certainly a lot more memories. And a lot more things I'm avoiding. I have my list of things I'm avoiding pulled up on my computer. And the, the last one is telling someone something without having any proof. Like telling someone something about my experience without first having pulled a bunch of data or found like journal articles supporting my experience. I don't tend to do that all that often. The telling someone without any proof, because most of the time I feel like I need to basically write a book report in order to go into a conversation to present somebody with, hey, this is my experience and here's all the proof I have for it. So you can't argue against it or tell me that I should feel a different way. So that's going to be one of my exposures. The only thing I have that's a hundred out of the zero to a hundred scale of the thing that I am avoiding the most is deleting my exposure recordings. I kept all of them, which apparently you're not supposed to do. I mean, like they, they recommend that you, you listen to the week's recordings for that week and then you delete them because you don't need to listen to them again after that. And it's, it's a recording of the most vulnerable traumatic parts of my life. So they would recommend deleting it. Um, I kept all of mine from my first round of exposure and I'm keeping all of them so far for this one because I want to be able to prove that I did it and that it was hard because I don't think people will believe me. The idea of deleting those feels like deleting my life, actually. I have a bunch of self-harm scars, and several people have suggested that I like tattoo over it or like get skin resurfacing procedures. Um, and I'm like, no, they're really important to me because they're proof of what I went through. And that's how I feel about my exposure recordings, too. So the idea of deleting those is like, Fuck no. So yes, these are the sorts of things that I am going to be doing in the next year. And there's a reason it might be more difficult this time around than it was the first time. And it's okay. It's okay that it's more difficult. Or rather, it's okay that my experience is different because it is a different experience. It feels really self-evident. And it's true. I am not in the same place I was five years ago when I did exposure the first time. I am not doing exposure to the same thing as I was five years ago. So the entirety of this experience is different than the last time. So it is okay if my experience is different than last time. And I also don't remember my life. I was doing some really intense community organizing and also was sexually assaulted and or raped three times within the first month of starting Exposure. And then I founded two companies all within the, the first six months. So clearly I was not in my right mind. And this time around, I have nothing to do. <laughs> like I don't have a job. 
I go over to my friend's house once a week and organize, and that's how I'm making enough money to pay for therapy. I'm just about breaking even, but I don't have a job. I don't have a one or six or 12 major projects to occupy my time. It's just me and my thoughts. So it makes total sense that this experience would be different than last time. Okay, I'm going to call I'm going to call it there. I'm going to stop with the self-validation because it's exhausting and it hurts. Yeah, it hurts. It's super, it, like it feels really vulnerable because I'm, when I'm beating myself up, I get defensive internally. And uh, when I treat myself with compassion and validation, my emotions can come to the surface because they're not hiding behind defenses, which means that I feel sad and tired. Tired is not an emotion, but still. Okay, I'm going to throw this back to future joy. Thank you. Goodbye. Welcome back to the present. One of the things I noticed in listening back to this recording is that there's a couple phrases I said multiple times. Only validate the valid and don't validate the invalid. And I realized I didn't explicitly say what an invalid example is. In the wedding example that I kept going back to, the conclusion, my wedding is ruined, is invalid. It doesn't fit the facts. There are a variety of ways to adjust the outdoor wedding, like moving it inside, getting a tent, whatever, so that everybody stays dry. And it can still be a beautiful wedding. So the conclusion, my wedding is ruined, is invalid. However, it is valid to have that thought. Like, of course, somebody would have that thought. And that thought doesn't point to the truth of the situation. So we're not going to validate the conclusion. We're not going to say, yep, your wedding's ruined. Instead, we'll say, of course, you're having that thought. You're disappointed because you thought your day would go like X. And instead, it's going to go like Z. And of course, you're having the thought that Z is equivalent to it being ruined. That thought comes from somewhere. It makes sense. You'd have that thought. And I'm like beating a dead horse here. And that thought doesn't necessarily point to the truth. So that's an example of not validating the invalid. Another thing I noticed while I was listening back to the recording, while I was doing level one of the levels of validation, which is pay attention, or in my case, pay attention to myself, listening back to that set off all manner of discomfort like a huge desire to avoid while I was editing that portion of the podcast. I've been noticing that urge to avoid come up a lot in the face of checking in with myself, like noticing how I'm feeling. And I think this is why. So let's say I tell you that I totaled my car. And then I tell you that my car is a 1982 Ford Pinto. How do you feel about me totaling this car? (laughs) Now, compare how you'd feel about that to this situation. Let's say I tell you that I totaled my car, and then I tell you that it was a 2023 Maserati. How do you feel about me totaling this car? I'm guessing the amount of distress that you're feeling is related to the value judgment you have of the car, how much you think the car is worth. And of course, we're not going to get into the whole idea of worth being a construct and how we assign worth and intangibles like sentimental value, etc., blah, blah, blah. My point is that the more we value a thing in whatever axis of value you want to consider, the more we tend to mourn its destruction. And in practicing level one of the levels of validation, which is being interested in myself and taking time to actually ask myself how I'm doing, that feels very threatening because I want to devalue myself as a protective mechanism. Like I don't want to consider that I'm worthy, that I'm valuable, because if I do, it'll hurt more. Like what happened to me hurts more. What was done to me hurts more if I'm valuable. But yeah, I'm not going to do anything with that information just yet. I'm just noticing that that's the thought I'm having. And the final thing I noticed in listening back to this recording is that doing exposure has, at least on some level, worked. Because listening to where I was seven months ago, the stuff that was exhausting me then barely phases me now. So my capacity has increased. My stamina, my resilience have all increased. And that's, (laughs) in keeping with the theme of today's episode, that's validating. It's nice to hear that all that work that was so exhausting seven months ago has actually paid off in some way. It's nice to have those kind of landmarks to be able to look back and see how far I've come because I'm constantly adjusting to my new normal. Wherever I am right now feels like normal and it feels like this is how it's always been. So it's nice to get a reminder of 
what it used to be like and that what it used to be like is not how it is currently. Things have changed. I've changed. Yes, yes, very validating. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up here. Thank you again for listening, for joining me on our little adventure here. If you like what you've heard, if you found it useful, please consider donating to my Patreon. The link is in the description. And I'm going to go eat some soup because it's cold and I have soup. Again, never know how to end this thing. So I'm just going to do my usual thing and end it super. This has been Let's Therapize That Shit with your host, me, Joy Gerhard. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about it. I'll see you next time. Intro and outro music is Swan Lake Opus 20 by Tchaikovsky, performed by the London Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Anatoly Fistulari, and released on LP by Richmond High Fidelity London Records in 1952.